You're listening to the Per Service Podcast, episode number seven. Hello and welcome to the Per Service Podcast. This is the show about life in the performing arts, which we create to help musicians, dancers, and artists do the work they care about or are passionate about. Because making music and art is hard work, and it's a service to the receiver, whether that is a paying audience member, God, higher power, or maybe just for you. That's one of the aspects of why we chose the name of our podcast, the Per Service Podcast. And today we're tackling this persistent debate, hard work versus talent. But it turns out there is much more to the equation than just hard work or talent. And this topic comes up because we started digging into the story of our co-host, Jessica Wiersma. She has an incredible story about how she overcame being told that she would never make it as a musician to completing three degrees and playing with professional orchestras all across the country. Also, she shares one of the funniest and most ridiculous audition day stories you'll ever hear. So be sure to stick around for that. You can listen to the other episodes for more in-depth information on who the rest of us are. I am in episode four, which is in the iTunes store. Just search per service and you'll see all our smiling faces. Uh, Christian Marshall, he is episode five and Anna Luce is episode six. But if you need a quick summary of who we are... If we were major corporations, Anna Luce, she'd be Nike. Practical and high quality... And a mission statement that can be summed up by just do it. Uh, Christian Marshall, he'd be uber innovative, disrupting how you think about age-old concepts with some German words thrown in occasionally. Jessica Wiersma, she'd be Pinterest, highly social, brimming with great stories, but one can lead to another and soon you don't remember why you're considering buying a house in Aspen. And me, Michael O'Giblin, I'd be National Public Radio, a purist at heart, quality programming, but always interrupting you at inconvenient times to ask you to pledge your support. Well, something like that. I'll be back again at the end of the episode to cover anything you missed, and you can follow along. The show notes are at www.perservice.co forward slash seven. So let's get to it. See, I already said like no. But it's you already like, said it and did yeah. your sentence. <laughs> Can't do it. Hilarious. Can't do it. Okay. All right. Well, guys, how's it going? Not bad. Oh, Christian, you said you wanted to hear a gig of the week. Did I you? I wanted to hear a gig of the week. This always oh, excites me. Maybe you played Mahler way too slow, or airboat at the Super Bowl, accompanied a manual axe, or Barbara Walters' birthday bash. Maybe you made lots of dough, or ate your pay from TSO. Tell us all about it from your gig of the week. Maybe you nailed everything or faked your way through Rider Spring, got paid in beer and Taco Bell, or suffered through more pocketbills, saw Essa Pekka Salonen or one of the Kardashians. Tell us all about it in your gig of the week. Gig of the week! Oh, well, Anna definitely. Anna, I think you're, yeah, you have the best one right now. It's the gig of the lifetime. Guys, I don't mean to um, sound really awesome, but I've got a really good gig this week. (laughs) 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 It's okay. We were chatting about it last night. I'm on tour right now with a dance group from New York. And they um, are tour. absolutely fantastic. What's the and name of the group? Uh, Mark Morris Dance Group. Morris. Mark Morris was a dancer, a, fa- a really famous dancer, and now he has his own dance group. Um, and he's actually conducting this performance of Dido and Aeneas that's on tour in the Midwest. And it's really, really fun. Um, <clears throat> and we were all, all of the musicians were sitting at Chili's last night <laughs> in West Lafayette because that was our dinner option at 945 after a really bad travel day. Yeah. 
Um, and I was telling them I was coming here today to do the podcast and they were like, Oh, are you going to talk about us? Cause I mentioned the gig of the week and they were like, is this the gig of the week? Gig of the and week. I was like, I was like, yeah, this is the gig of a lifetime. Heck yeah. <laughs> awesome. And so you guys are in the same room and you have to like yeah, push each see. other out of the way. Oh, to, to yeah. Talk. yeah. That's exciting. It's very exciting. Cause I don't really know what there is to do in Lafayette. So I thought we should just come here. Yeah. If you hear Good any call. sudden thuds, it's me shoving Jess out of the way of the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I need it. <laughs> Jess, you were taking auditions. Like you were on the yeah, audition trail. I've had trail. two auditions back to back. <sighs> That's a tough life. Man, I just, I got to tell you, I had to recuperate all week by doing nothing. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is our our fourth installment of our series, the fourth and final, and we have saved the best for last. Oh yeah! yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I love. Who is it? Anna that uh, affectionately titled this episode the Jessisode. Yeah, isn't well, that you know. so clever? Love it. Not everybody can be blessed with a name that seamlessly runs into the word episode, like me. So I'd like to thank my parents for that. <laughs> Oh, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Uh, so, Jess, were you a Wunderkinder? No. Uh, <laughs> Michael, we've been over this. Wunderkind. Ah, Wunderkind. Ah, man. Yeah. No, absolutely you not. I think I would learn. I'm not a quick When learner. I was in high school, I was told I would never get into school as a musician. And I worked my butt off and I improved a lot. And I want to encourage people that even if you've been told these things, you can get better. This is literally always what I've wanted to do before I can even remember asking for it. And so what's funny is like, I remember in Michael's episode, you said you just don't understand like the people that are like, oh yeah, this is what I always wanted to do. Well, hello. <laughs> like, you were? I, I started asking for lessons when I was three. Holy cow. And my parents wouldn't let me take any because I was three. You know, kids are always like, oh, I want to be a ballet dancer. I want to be an astronaut tomorrow. I'm going to be a bobsledder, you know, <laughs> so like whatever. I just wanted to play the drums. Like that was... But after two years of me pestering them, they finally were like, okay, I guess we better find somebody. Wow. So you were five when you started? So I started my first lesson when I was, yeah, I was five. So, but I wanted to take since I was three. When I was little and people asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said, I want to play the violin, piano, sing, trumpet, flute, harp, and soccer. <laughs> That's literally what I answered. And I did some of those things, but not all of them. I did play soccer and it was really good. Can you imagine your parents' life would have just been like shuttling you around? Well, it basically was because <laughs> I have three brothers and they also all played mm -hmm. instruments and did sports. So basically it was just a shuttle. <laughs> Um, dropping one kid off, picking up the next. This is really off topic, but I, I think when self-driving cars become a reality, that could really happen. <laughs> you could just be like, hey, Jessica, you're, you're, the car is going to take you to soccer <laughs> practice go. and then it's going to drop you off at flute lessons. The problem was I sometimes got left at soccer practices or because cell phones weren't around <laughs> and the parents forgot who they were picking up. <laughs> and then they'd get home and they'd be like, hey. We're missing a child. It wasn't always me. We took turns being left. There were times I was sitting at my violin lesson and three other kids had finished their lessons and the teacher was like, you're still here. <laughs> like, yep. <Yeah. laughs> ah. 
So anyway. So did you continue on the same, the gradual incline of growing and loving and improving your playing or did you, were there ups and downs? Oh no, many ups and downs, probably more downs than ups. <laughs> Sometimes it seems. <laughs> but, um, that would mean that you are worse today than you were before <laughs> you started. Okay, true. No, I'm not worse than I am. I'm not worse than I was when I started. Yeah, but so I, well, okay. So I started violin when I was five as a Suzuki student. And I also, they had like this advanced violin group that I really wanted to be in. And so after I played, I had been playing for a couple of years. I went to like a Suzuki camp in the summer uh-huh. and I came back and I was like, hey, mm-hmm. I want to audition for this group. He was like, Deathco, you can't, you're too young. <laughs> and I was not advanced enough. Like I couldn't have played that music at all. And I was like, hey, if I can play Twinkle backwards, yeah. can I be in your group? He was like, okay, if you can play Twinkle backwards for me perfectly, you can be in the group. And I was like, all right. And I turned around backwards and played it for him. <laughs> he thought it was you really... only just turned around backwards? You know, instead of facing him, I turned around. Uh-huh. Wait, so you weren't that's actually hilarious. playing Twinkle backwards? No, but it sounded like that's what it's going to do. And it was a good joke. <laughs> I had all those like, hey, want to see me walk on my hands? Then you just like bend over and walk on your hands. <laughs> Oh. That sounds painful. But he thought it was really funny. So I paraded around and he had me show all the teachers. I was not admitted into the group at that time. <laughs> However, a couple years down the road, I finally got in. <laughs> but yeah, so I just was really into it. And I just had always, always wanted to play violin. But anyway, so then I auditioned for, yep. you know, for school. For, uh, for undergrad. Um, for undergrad. And so I... And my original plan was to double major in violin performance and business or something. Mm. So technically on paper, when I went to college, I was a violin performance major and econ major for two years. No kidding. And guess, guess how many classes I took in econ? A big fat zero. <laughs> zero. There's so much math. I was like, oh, forget it. Yeah. I'm not doing that. So what was sort of the, the dream... Back then, when you're like a senior in high school, what was your like the success story in in your mind that you wanted to be? Yeah, I was actually in a really awesome quartet for quite a few years Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with string quartet stuff. So I really wanted to do that. But I think even at that time, I knew that was a little bit unrealistic. So I always wanted to play in an orchestra. And at that time in my life, I will say I basically thought if you weren't in Chicago Symphony or New York Phil or a big orchestra like that, you probably weren't very good because I just didn't understand the realities of life. So I really always wanted to be in Chicago Symphony. Like if you're playing basketball and you're not in the Bulls, you know. Oh, I should say that I'm from the Chicago area. That's why Chicago was like my my orchestra of choice. Cause like I got to go see them all the time. Sure. Yeah. And when you have such a great symphony at your disposal yeah. when you're young, I think it's awesome. And then also I didn't realize the reality of how difficult it is to get that kind of a job. So I went to school. So did you go to, you didn't go to end up going the, doing the double major? <gasps> no, I dropped it because I was far too busy. So technically I was basically a double major in violin and vocal performance. Oh, wow. Even though I didn't have it declared. Yeah. Because like I did juries and all that stuff for both instruments. I also accompanied a lot of juries on piano. And when I walked in for my violin jury, it was hilarious because that Uh was like the real one. And most of the faculty was like, okay, so what? This is for your minor? And I was like, no, this is like what I actually play. 
and my violin teacher was really mad. <laughs> it was great. Because <laughs> you were like no, making extra like money, accompanying. I made more money <laughs> accompanying people. I did play in violin in my freshman year of college. Yeah. But so yeah. my college career is a little crazy because around spring break of my sophomore year, my teacher had a meeting and was like, hey, I just got this job at this other school. Whoever wants to come with me can, mm-hmm. or you can stay here. So I ended up transferring. Was there another violin teacher there that you could have? Yes. I would not have wanted to work with uh-huh. the other violin teacher. I just think we would not have gotten along our personalities would not have worked at all. Yeah. Um, I was already kind of scared of him. No. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't think it would have been great to start with him my junior year. (laughs) So you just did two years. You like finish your undergrad at heart. Yes. So I still did college Uh, in four years, undergrad in four years, mm -hmm. just two at each place. But so during my senior year and my teacher was not particularly helpful mm-hmm. when it came to discussing and finding a teacher for my master's. Oh. I thought he was a great teacher for mm-hmm. me, but when it came to moving on, yeah. he was not great. Cause he, did he want you to like just stay and study with him for yeah, more degrees? Oh. Basically. And then I was at a summer festival, uh, actually masterworks. Yeah. Where all of us met. Yes. And I took a lesson with Stephen Clapp, who was the former, Dean of Juilliard. I don't think he was yeah. Dean anymore at that point, hmm. but yeah. he, he might've been, I think it was like emeritus. Yeah. Or yeah. I think yeah. he was officially retired, but, um, anyway, he's great. And he was asking me what my plans were and I was telling him and he kind of was like, why are you doing that? <laughs> and he, well, and it was just very interesting. He said, okay, if your teacher were in the room right now, how would he tell you to practice what you just played for me? And like, show me how he would have you practice it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I said, oh, he'd have me do this and blah, blah. And he said, if you can answer that question and know what he would tell you, you need to move on from that teacher. First of all, it was life-changing advice for me, honestly. Hmm. I needed to like have permission to not go back oh. and work with. He was a great teacher, yeah. but I think my time was just, yeah. And so he was saying, you know, not that he can't oh. teach you more, but you're already working off his. Yeah, you knew what he would You already know what he would say. say, you know. And we were kind of like a weird studio. And you know how everyone used to say, what would Jesus yeah. do? <laughs> we started saying, what would Anton do? And like, it was really messed up. But. So at this point, you have an undergrad degree. You are by all the world's standards, a professional violinist. Right. And you're making money teaching music. Yeah. Did you still feel like I'm not professional enough and like you have to go back to school because did you want to keep going well, and I get had, a doctorate? No. Oh my gosh. No, I never, sorry. Uh. I didn't mean that to be so aggressive. No, I never wanted a doctorate, but for some reason it, I had always wanted a master's mm-hmm. and I think it dates back to a teacher I had um, one summer who I thought was I mean, I, I still occasionally play for her and she's mm-hmm. great. And she basically had told me the way things are mm-hmm. in the music world now, you kind of had to get a master's to mm-hmm. get some auditions and yeah, it was not going to hurt your chances. Cause I still wanted to play in an orchestra and I was gigging and stuff. I and mean, basically she's just like, you really need one. So in my brain, I had always wanted one and I just always knew that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Because I mean, of course, everybody's going to say, well, if you're taking an audition behind a screen, nobody's looking at your resume. Yeah, I think that's true. But you have to send your resume to get behind the screen. Mm -hmm. Well, I will just say, I don't think my undergrad school was sufficient 
for them to be like, oh, yeah, have her come on. But now, given the way that the market is, I don't know how much I would be invited to things with just with just an undergrad degree an undergrad because they're just yeah. so many people now. I could totally be wrong. Well, I have no idea. But basically, it was just always something I needed. And I knew I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I always knew I was not going to be that person that showed up and won the first audition. So I was like, any extra help I can get. Yeah. So on my second round of auditions, I ended up going actually where I thought I would never go (laughs) again, but a really good teacher. And actually, so that was at the university of Memphis. I went there for my master's and I started playing the Memphis symphony. My second semester there, I played in the graduate quartet. I, it yeah. saved my life there. It was so great. I loved, I loved it. We actually were there a year, I think for your last year. Yeah. We overlapped. Yeah. Cause I had a, we got to be Sam partners. Heck yeah. Heck, yeah. It was with my aunt. It was great. They never put us together again after that. I can't imagine why, <laughs> why, why, why would they? <laughs> no, well, but it was, it was great. And I don't think I would have had that opportunity if I had gone to Northwestern. Like there's no way I would have started stopping with Chicago symphony just cause I was at school there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then at the end of my master's, actually, <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do after this? Yeah. And I had literally no idea. So I applied for my artist diploma. <laughs> was that a, also like a basically a paid degree? Oh, yeah. That like one a- I would not. Ha- yeah. Just because I would not have done that if it were not. Well, so it was interesting. So my non music friends, when they would say, oh, so like after your master's, you'll get a job. And I was like, well, maybe. I mean, that would be great. But I don't know. And then I started this artist diploma and they're like, okay, so what will that do for you? And I, I'm like, basically nothing. Like, it's really, it's just like a totally different mindset. It doesn't guarantee me literally anything. It doesn't mean I'll get this audition, get invited to this audition or not. And if I am invited, it definitely doesn't mean I'll win. So it doesn't really give you anything in my mind. And I could totally be wrong, except more time and more experience because while I was doing it, I did Mm -hmm. have a lot of professional experiences that were afforded to me because of it. However, I also think part of that was my location. Yeah. But so after that, yeah. So then you, so you finish our diploma, you are out in the real world. Here I am on my couch. (laughs) Um, is the Jessisode. The Jessisode. It just feels so awkward, guys. No, so I got out of school and I started taking auditions like it was my job for orchestras. Oh, also along the way, you do realize that there are so many amazing players in orchestras that are not the New York Phil or the Chicago Symphony or Cleveland Orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I seriously took, I don't know, at least 15 auditions Mm -hmm. my first year out of school, if not more. And wow. Again, all of the experiences, guys, are so weird. Like one time uh, I went to my car. Ooh. Are we getting about to get a like crazy audition people story? This is just like a really weird story that I'll just, I'm going to tease you all so that you'll buy my book when I write it <laughs> in 20 years. <clears throat> I was, you know, got into town the night before the audition, had my route laid out, you know, I checked it out online. You know, I uh-huh. like to do, I'm the person who like looks it all up the night before and goes over it five times to make sure I know exactly yeah. what I'm doing. So I go to the car and I open the garage door and open the garage door and there's a car parked behind it. Oh. And I literally cannot get my car out of the garage to get to the audition. Oh. <laughs> and there are a ton of cars parked behind it. And it was like a private parking area for this complex. So I go outside mm-hmm. and I'm looking around. I'm like, whose car is this? Where are all the people that belong to these cars? They need yeah. to move them. And there 
in the unit next to me, there are all these people and they had the, oh my God, this is so great. Kind of yelled up and I said, excuse me, is this somebody's car? And this lady's like, oh, I don't know, but there are a lot of people here. So I will go check. Also, it's like a Tuesday at like 11 o'clock. It's not a Friday night or something crazy, you know? Right. So this lady goes running through this house asking everybody, nobody's taking ownership of this vehicle. She goes, I don't know whose car that is. And I said, well, here's the thing. I have this audition basically now Yeah. and I can't get to it. Yeah. So she said, do you want to take my car? And I said, yes. Even though I would normally never <laughs> take some stranger's car. And she said, okay. Cause she felt so terrible because she was hosting this thing and nobody would come uh -huh. down with this car. And she said, okay, great. I'll throw it on the keys. She says, do you drive shift? And I said, no. Cause I <laughs> like can't a drive, manual I transmission. Can't drive shift. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't. And now I'm starting to really freak out because I have wasted like 20 <sighs> minutes and you know, yeah. anyway, and she said, where do you need to go? And I told her, and it wasn't that far, but I didn't have enough time uh -huh. to like walk there at this point. Yeah. Cause it was like a little bit over half a mile and I don't know, just not something I wanted to do. Yeah. She said, hey. she said, okay, my husband's going to come down and drive you. I was like, okay. So all right. I, this guy comes downstairs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Random person goes, just driving. Oh man, I'm so lunch. sorry about this. You know, these people who don't live in the city, they just don't get how parking works here. And these country folk just think <laughs> they can come park anywhere. And he's driving. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I just, you know, I'm, thank you so much for driving me. I know this is so weird, but I don't really feel like I have a choice. And then he proceeds yeah. to tell me that they're, the reason they're having all these people over is for his mother-in-law's wake. <laughs> I bet he was, oh he was glad God. to get out of the house. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> he was in the middle of his mother-in-law's wake and had to drive me to this audition. It was just insane. Also, he introduced himself to me as Papa Dan. He's like, I'm Papa Dan. I'm like, Hey, here, let's go. And so he got me to the audition site and I literally had 10 minutes before I played. Oh, uh, so not a recommended <laughs> way to go. Uh, that's just a good uh, example of just, you never know what's going to happen at an audition. And that's just one audition story. I have so mm -hmm. many and that's a little extreme, but, but it happens, <laughs> but crazy things happen all the time. And so um, anyway, it was just a very interesting oh, situation. So I think that I have always had this drama or passion for, Ooh. or the drama <laughs> buzzword. <laughs> and musically, I think even from a, a really young age, so musically meaning finding the phrase or playing something more, you know, as if you were singing or naturally, that's always mm -hmm. been much more natural to me and easy. Mm -hmm. I'm sometimes the person who doesn't understand why the, this person next to me doesn't get how this line works. So you would say you are naturally talented. I would say I'm naturally talented in the musical aspect of I can find a line. I can sing a line. I can play a line mm -hmm. and find it where the phrase is mm -hmm. and play it. So it makes sense much more easily than the technical aspect. There's, um, there's a great book by Oliver Sacks. Mm -hmm. well, unfortunately, the music, um, musicophilia. Musicophilia. Huh. Yeah. And I love how he talks about a set of sisters. I don't know if they were patients of his or how he came across the story, but how one was 
incredibly musically talented, like you describe, you know, like mm-hmm. could find the phrase, had a great ear, had very uh, natural sensitivity mm-hmm. to musical line and shaping and colors, timbre, but physically totally unmusical just couldn't create a good sound at all. And the sister, you know, at a sister that I was technically like perfect on the piano, but was super stiff, not musical, had no rhythm, had no concept of line. And it was just a funny cross in the DNA somehow. Like one sister got it all musically, you know, mentally, emotionally, whatever. But the other one Uh got none of that and got it all physically. Ah, It get kind of worked up about this topic. Then do you think, that other sister could learn all those other characteristics. Like learn the musical side? Maybe, or like, yeah, could she learn the rhythm and the... Here's the thing. I think that everybody can learn both sides. I think you can become more musical and I think you can obviously improve your technical proficiency. So, yeah, I guess... So how hard do you want to work? How hard do you want to work? That was the last uh, question Jessica said uh, before her audio sort of cut out. But we're going to take a quick pause to hear a word from our sponsors. The Perseverance blog and podcast is made possible by orchestraexcerpts.com. This is the website that I created to help instrumentalists prepare excerpts for orchestra auditions. Because when I finished my undergrad degree and wanted to start making some money by playing with local orchestras, I realized I had to learn a bunch of the excerpts that I had never studied. I asked my colleagues for some of their bowings and fingerings. I went to the library to try to photocopy some of the parts without cutting the last line off. I even contacted a music librarian to try to find one of the excerpts. It was all just a giant hassle. So I created a website to make this whole process and actually listening to the excerpts much easier. So if you're preparing for an audition, orchestraexcerpts.com makes it easy to listen to multiple recordings of excerpts. You can follow along with the sheet music on screen in one convenient place. You can also purchase excerpt collections, either the clean practice parts or ones edited with bowings and fingerings, and many other resources, whether it's for a summer festival, a youth orchestra, your school's seating audition, or for the Chicago Symphony. You can find and listen to these excerpts at orchestraexcerpts.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook to download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash per service. They have over 180,000 programs to choose from for iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Christian recommended earlier checking out Musicophilia by Oliver Sacks. There is, nonetheless, much evidence that humans have a music instinct no less than a language instinct. We humans are a musical species no less than a linguistic one. All of us, with very few exceptions, can perceive music, perceive tones, timbre, pitch intervals, melodic contours, harmony, and, perhaps most elementally, rhythm. We integrate all of these and construct music in our minds using many different parts of the brain. What? He might be on to something. I'm going to have to check that out. To figure out how you can download this audiobook for free, go to audibletrial.com slash perservice. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com slash perservice. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, well, do so. Oh, so yeah, so that's kind of the two, right? Everybody always talks about hard work and talent, and the, the saying is always that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I mean, 
You've heard these. That's true. Well, and I will just say in the music program I grew up in, there are a ton of extremely good players. Some of them have like your st- typical stage mom. Uh-huh. So it was like really the parents pushing. And then some didn't. Some were just like really good. Yeah. But what's really interesting is how many of them d- continued into something non-music related, like when they went to college. So I think that even a lot of times some of the really good players don't have the passion. I don't know if that's always even the right word to use, but I think it's more like the determination or the persistence, I guess, sort of mm-hmm. like what we were talking about last week. I'm shoving Jess out of the way. Shove her. I will also, I will say though, I came to a crossroads as a young person, like 12 or 13. <clears throat> I don't know that we necessarily touched on it, but when talent wasn't going to carry me anymore. Right. Because Uh I definitely was at the place where I could get away with not practicing and still sound really good and impress everybody. Uh And there are a couple of really crucial years there where I had to make a dedicated commitment to actually be more disciplined and not just fly by the seat of my pants because I could. Yeah. You could get away with. It wasn't going to work anymore. Yeah. Well, and that brings me to this really lovely quote that I pulled up. It says, the only reason for mastering technique is to make sure the body does not prevent the soul from expressing itself. So at some point, what you're trying to musically express, mm-hmm. I do think will not come across if your technical mm-hmm. aspects are not up to, to snub, to par. Yes. Snuff. 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 <laughs> Snuff. I think it also has to do with being intelligent because when you Say, for example, you're feeling something really emotionally and you want to put, you know, a lot of emotion into this slow movement or whatever. And then all of a sudden you use way more bow speed and this like crazy, you know, and you realize like you're actually going to get the opposite effect of what you were going for. So I think there's a fine line between Uh playing only what you feel and kind of turning off the intelligence. Like you, you have to be the filter. Like you have to keep some, some sort of distance between you and the instrument and say, okay, I'm purposefully getting this sound out of the instrument. I'm not just going to feel something and then move my arms and, and just see what comes out. Right. Oh, for sure. Like, like I think talent is a, a natural curiosity and desire. I think, you know, like a natural, like it's a curiosity and a desire to understand and assimilate new things and things that excite you. Uh-huh. You know, I think there are a lot of people who are who could be talented for any musical instrument, but, but it doesn't really excite them. You know, they're not curious about it, so they don't really need to pursue it. The talent is there. You know, that's when someone's really lucky when they have this natural curiosity and they assimilate things quickly and then, and then they, they work hard. And if they can use that intelligently, then I think Uh that's when their musical side, their vocabulary, you know, of phrasings and dynamics and timbres and this sorts of, when that grows, you know, that's when they say like, oh, wow, that person's really musical. Like listen to their sound. It's not that they're more talented than you or have worked harder. They're consciously aware of what cards they want to play. Hmm. I totally agree with you, but I also think that there are some people that are just more naturally inclined to certain aspects of music. Now, whether that is mm-hmm. musicality or technicality, I do think that there are people that are more inclined in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Or like memorization or maybe even the hard work is a talent or that the ability to stay focused and practice in a little, you know, jail cell Mm -hmm. practice room. There's something of a talent there. Some people have more of an inclination to stick with it. I almost, I wonder, is there quantifiable technical adjustments we can make 
to impersonate an emotion. Totally. Could all these musical, you know, phrasings and all these seemingly uh, emotional aspects that you put into a playing, are they quantifiable from technical you know, standpoints. Could you just say, oh, you want to hear sadness? I'm going to tilt the bow and use totally. wide vibrato or... Totally. Yeah. Because because it's only physical. I mm-hmm. can pick up, you know, the, the air viola, you know, and I can make a sad face and I can do all this stuff and you're not going to hear anything. <laughs> and why? Sure. Because there's no viola physically in my hand. <laughs> there's no bow. It's physics yeah. and it's created the same way. Yeah. What do we, what do we always say? Oh, and I know it's in German. They say that, you know, your eyes eat along with you or like with the taste buds or whatever. Like, you know, how the food is presented by your stomach. No, no, no. Like when you (laughs) like how your food looks, like how your Uh food looks, you know, will make it more appetizing or would make it more appetizing. Yeah. Augen ist mit, like it's German, whatever. Anyway, so um, (laughs) it's important how it looks. And I think so if you see someone, you know, making those faces or just kind of the way they really get into it or, you know, intense bow speed or moving around. And I think of, you know, Nadia Solero Sonnenberg or Isabel Faust or these incredible, you know, Tetzlaff, like these great violinists and the way they perform. What you see is really emotional. You see all the hard work they put in it and, and that's what you feel. But you close your eyes and you're still only hearing physical production. Hmm. You know, it sounds so like, yeah. no way, Christian, like that's not musical. It's true. You know, there are a thousand ways to play the violin, but the physics of it remain the same. The bow has to go across the string and the f- strings have to be stopped mostly by your left hand. <laughs> like, you know, unless you're playing maybe something <laughs> right. modern, but been there. Like that's how it is. And I think, you know, um, there's a, a YouTube clip or I think it was something I saw on Facebook of a cellist impersonating nine of the great cellists in the world or something like this. And uh, uh-huh. it's really funny the way he moves around and like, you know, and it really does sound like Rostropovich or Casals or Jacqueline Dupre. And then he gets to Yo-Yo Ma <laughs> and you see him flatten his hand and use the straightest pencil fingers possible, you know, vibrato and stuff. And it sounds just like Yo-Yo Ma because he's, I mean, he's holding his hand and he's really like making the same physical gestures that Yo-Yo Ma is using when he plays. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was a great confirmation of the way the body touches the instrument, the angles, the amount of finger pad on the string, all of these things go into playing. Basically, every everything is a skill that can be learned. Everybody that's good at something at one point wasn't good at it. And it's something that sure. they learned. But I don't think... That means that everybody can achieve the same level. Yeah, because I mean, I don't think I will never play like Noah Bigley Bagley or whatever his name is. What's his name? Noah Bigley Bagley Bagley. What's his name? Excuse me. Noah Bigley Bagley. Benedict's Bag. (laughs) What's his name? Benedict's Bagley. Is that at the now the concertmaster of Berlin? I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Bilbo Baggins. Let me. Let me. You know, we're so grateful or we're so blessed to be musicians and what we can learn and what we can explore is there's no cap on it. Every day we can explore new music. There's no end to learning a stringed instrument. Yeah. We will be able to get better until we die. I think that's so exciting. So then here's the, I think the question that irks me a little bit is so like Christian, if people come up to you and say, Oh, Christian, you play the viola so well. You're just so talented. I could never play the viola like you. <laughs> okay. I don't think anyone's ever said that. <laughs> no, no, come on. Really? <laughs> oh, come on. You've had no. people say things. 
Yes. People that are always like, oh, you're so talented. I could never do that. Or yeah. I could never play an instrument. Okay, or I could never that. sing. Okay. I definitely had probably in mid twenties or something like this time where I was like, well, there's hard work too. You know, I always wanted to say that, like, it's not just talent. Like, I've worked really hard. Mm-hmm. And then I think now when, when people say that I'm very humbled for a split second. And then I think, and I have so far to go. Yeah. There's still so much more that I can learn. So I think now when people say I'm talented, I'm grateful that they enjoyed it. And, and I'm grateful that I had that opportunity to play, but at the same time, it just kind of spurs me on to like, keep going. I, I think that when people say those types of things, my response now is just a solid and hopefully heartfelt. Thank you. Because it goes to such a depth. It's like, no one can understand how that makes me feel because there's so much that goes into people appreciating what they hear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not just like, you can say, thank you. I worked really hard and I'm very talented (laughs) 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 because it's so much more than that. Right. And it's usually not the place to reject. I mean, they're usually trying to pay you a compliment. And so it's, it's usually respectful to just, uh, you know, say yes, thank you. And not be like, let me tell you how many summer camps I went to as a kid and how (laughs) many sleepovers I didn't get to attend because my mom made me practice. (laughs) Because sometimes I want to be like, you've no idea how much work went into it. Like, yes, I do think I have some talent, but I have worked my butt off. And I think in some ways I've had to work much harder than some people on certain aspects of my plane. Like, you know, some things are a little bit easier for person A that are harder for person B, whatever. That's at least that's my tendency is to, I always want to bring up the fact about how hard I worked because yeah, it's true. I, I mean, I feel that I wasn't the most talented kid growing up and I didn't originally do the work when I was a kid. And then later on in like high school, then I really started working harder because I always knew that I had to mm-hmm. because I felt like I was behind. And I, th- I think so also with determination to prove that I could be just as good, even though I, I wasn't as quote unquote talented. So I always feel like I have to defend my work ethic. Well, I think maybe we should just feel happy. Like if they think it looks easy, maybe like we just need to be happy about that because it's not easy. And so if we can make somebody think that like, Oh, we are just so talented. And so maybe that's something we can be like, Oh man, we're getting better. (laughs) I don't know. Because I know what you mean, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. But part of me also thinks when, when we see a great soloist up on stage and they play beautifully and it's inspiring and we're just, you know, lost in the music. How many of us really sit there and think, I wonder how hard they work or I wonder how talented they are. I don't think that really matters like when you're on stage in in the in the music making moment. And I think that should give us the freedom to let that go. It doesn't matter in the end. It does not matter how talented we are or how hard we've worked yeah. at that moment. Like we're, we're playing. Yeah. The fact that we have this desire to do this business and yeah. this craft does not necessarily mean we're a hundred percent talented in the sense that we don't have to work on it. And I don't think any musician no matter how good they are mm. is going to tell you they'd have never worked at things. Yeah. You know, they're, they've definitely had to work. So I think that take heart all <laughs> ye out there. Yeah. If you work correctly and you work hard in the correct way, being aware of what you're actually working on, being aware of your end goal, being aware of that angle of your finger pad. Yes. That's all very real and necessary. 
Yeah. But I do think that you will see improvement if you work hard. I mean, I literally was told I would never get into college and I got into a lot in all the scholarships. And so I think part of it was talent. Part of it is drive. Yeah. But a lot of it is hard work. And yeah, I think you just kept at it. And I mean, would you say you maybe you're not exactly where you thought you were going to be. Oh, I'm definitely not close to where I thought I'd be. (laughs) You know, you're living the dream that a lot of people would love to have. I mean, I love playing. Yeah. I love playing. I love performing, whether that's solo or that is in a chamber setting or an orchestral setting. I I love it. And so I feel like my episode blows. <laughs> no, this I think there's the some good. Worst my, ever. Lows good. I felt that way too. And then Michael made it sound good because he's a magician. Oh my God, this episode sucks. Also, I really didn't think Christians was going to be great because we kind of just got, not because. <laughs> because it's, let's be real. No, he's a violist, so. But remember after the end of Christians, he was like, I'm not really sure we accomplished what needed to be accomplished today. And then it was a great episode. So I just, I'm saying like, I think we've each probably felt that way. Yeah. No, it's tough being in the hot seat, but we should probably wrap it up. I think there are some, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there. You guys know what, you know what time it is? Sign off time for a second. Okay. Sign off time. All right. Let's see if we can do this on the first try. Probably not. (laughs) What? Okay. Okay, here we go. I've been Michael O'Giblin. I'm Anna Luce. I'm Jessica Wiersma. And I'm Christian Marshall. That was very weird. It's very delayed over here. But it'll be fine. Well, that is our show, folks. Phew. Talent, hard work, determination, awareness, curiosity, physics. Well, there's a lot more to the equation than I thought. So really... Why does it matter if you don't have as much in one of these six categories as someone else? When you close your eyes and are enjoying the music, why does it really matter? There's always going to be somebody better than you, and there's always room for you to improve. Well, that's something to think about. You can find the show notes, including that video of the cellist impersonating nine of the great cellists in history at www.perservice.co forward slash seven. That's P-E-R-S-E-R-V-I-C-E dot C-O slash seven. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating in iTunes. It just helps other musicians and artists find our show. And if you have a crazy audition story that you think can top Jessica's, or even if it's just a really good one, leave us a comment or record it using the SpeakPipe widget on the show notes page. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram under Her Service Podcast and share with us your hashtag gig of the week. Well, thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Be well and practice well. <laughs> <laughs>